0: The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 419. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. At the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to back the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N. McClanahan.com. Why you there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same taught read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also support the show by by clicking on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can buy a book plate if you want my autograph on one of my books. My most recent is Southern Scribbling, 60 Essays in Defense of the Southern Tradition. It is out now. You want to get it. But I've also got a lot of other books. So if you want my autograph, buy a book and then buy the book plate and you got the autograph on the book. You can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Lots of great ways to support the show, but the best way to support the show, of course, is to share it around on social media, let people know you like the podcast, rate it wherever you get podcasts, do everything you can to get people thinking locally and acting locally, because that's how we turn this great big monstrosity around. As I mentioned in all kinds of my podcasts, and this is, we've been doing this now for years, the only way we can turn this around is by uh, thinking locally, acting locally, bottom up. Um, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, in a way, um, is how the government has gone so far off the rails. And Last week, of course, I mentioned John C. Calhoun's defense of conservatism and what that really was. And, of course, his defense of conservatism, or definition, I should say, of conservatism is based on states' rights. He says it. The idea that somehow this term states' rights was made up, I mean, this is something you get. Calhoun is actually using that particular phrase. He says states' rights. I remember I, I remember—I made a speech one time at a Republican club, and there was a guy there who was an attorney, and he wanted to put me in my place. He said, you know, the states don't have rights. They have powers. Because in his mind, to say states' rights was... Uh, a problem legally. It was a problem legally. So if states have powers, they don't have rights. And I, I mean, technically, semantically, I guess he's correct. We're talking about delegated powers of the general government, delegated powers of the central authority. The states have all powers that aren't delegated to the central authority. They're reserved to the states of the people. And so in his mind to say a state had rights is incorrect because the people have rights and et cetera, et cetera. This is what he was trying to do. And again, you're you're doing that in a way that's destructive of the meaning to it. I mean, I think Calhoun would know more about powers than this Nimrod, this attorney, uh, a, a local Republican trying to put me in my place. But I want to talk about the powers of the general government and how we look at these things today, and how dramatically different it was even a hundred years ago, a little over a hundred years ago. Now, last week was Calhoun's birthday, March 18th. There was another important American statesman who was born on March 18th, and that was Grover Cleveland. A lot of people don't don't realize Cleveland was born on March 18th. Cleveland is one of my uh, favorite presidents. He's in my nine presidents who screwed up America as one of the four who tried to save her. That's the subtitle of the book. There are 13 presidents who did a lot of wrong things, then four who actually were pretty good, and Grover Cleveland is in that list. If you take my American presidents course over at McClanahan Academy, I, of course, have a lecture on, on Grover Cleveland, as I do on every other American It's the only class I've ever done that with. There are some others out there where I've done uh, where I've I've taken about twenty and focused on those individuals, but this is every president, including Jefferson Davis, who is an American president because he was the president of a federal republic in America. Um, it's just that he's not recognized as a U.S. president, so it's not the U.S. president's class; it's the American president's class. Now, I I also talk about the Articles of Confederation a little bit, and I I talk about that myth they're American presidents before the U.S. presidency, which uh, is sort of true, but really not true. So that's a great class. I've got so many good classes at McLean Academy, but let me talk about this Grover Cleveland, and I want to focus on one particular message he gave that the left just goes bonkers over when they read it. I used to show a video in my classes where they had uh, this, the president series, and they just had little bi- biographies of every president, and it was an easy thing to show um, for the students. It was you know, pretty well done. It was they focused on some things. Well, so they had this one progressive historian, Marxist historian, on there, and he's got his hair all wild and he looks crazy. And he says, Well, uh, this is where Grover Cleveland was a good man. He was an honest man, but he just wasn't a very good president because he said this. And let me I'm gonna go into what he said here in this particular veto message that drives these people absolutely nuts. And in light of what just happened last week. We have the federal government now spending another close to two trillion dollars. Some of that is it was sold to the public as you know, a stimulus bill. We're going to give people some money and we're going to help people out because of the economic shutdown and everything. Anyway, that sounds like ah yeah, I mean this is great, but there's so much pork in the bill. So many things in there. We've got Biden spending what billions of dollars on housing uh, immigrants. Uh, into the I can't remember if, what what the price tag is it's, it's it's astronomical housing people that are in the United States in hotels now I think it came down to like uh you know near four hundred dollars a night for the amount of time these people are going to be in the hotels on the American taxpayer and it was brought i mean what people actually stay in hotels at four hundred dollars a night I mean you can go get a room at a holiday and express for a hundred bucks a night. So, why are these people costing $400 a night? Well, because you've got government bureaucracy involved in all of this. They have to take all their cuts on down the line. I mean, this is the way it works. This is why you had the $400 hammer and things like that. I mean, if nothing else, this is what Clinton was. I mean, he's pointing this stuff out in the 90s. Hey, I want to clean up some of this corruption. There's tremendous corruption in the general government. And it's because everyone has their hand in it. When you start doing these things, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It creates corruption and invites it. This is what Hamilton talked about with the British Constitution. When John Adams said, hey, look, if it wasn't for the corruption, the British Constitution would be great. And Hamilton said, no, no, it's the corruption that makes it great because you've got all this loyalty. You create loyalty through patronage and handouts. It's exactly what we see in the U.S. Constitution. You've got a lot of loyalty to the general government because of all the corporate welfare and individual welfare. I mean, look, Elon Musk, who's, you know, all the darling of uh, even people on the right right now, because he's saying things that are, you know, controversial with the Biden administration. Musk was making a lot of money on the general government back in the Obama administration. They were bailing out Tesla left and right. They were giving the guy all kinds of money to go and invest in his electric cars and his batteries and everything else he was doing. And I mean, who's not? I mean, these things are great, right? We love these things. But Musk was on the dole. So are a lot of other companies in America big tech, big corporations. And when I talked about uh, the, the communist revolution of the early 20th century and how important tech was to that, the technocrats were they loved the fascists, they loved the totalitarians, they loved the communists because, in many ways, it allowed for them to have an in in these particular regimes. They're modern. Communism and fascism are sold as modern ideologies. They're not archaic. And so when you have that idea floating around that somehow this is modern, well, tech is going to be involved in that. So we've got all this pork, all this spending, whether it's you know, spending on foreign powers. I mean, why are we giving money to all these foreign governments around the world? Why are we doing what we do? Well, because the government can. Because it, just, it, it has all the revenue, at least theoretically. It's printing it. It's printing the revenue. <laughs> we've got uh, modern monetary theory now being o- on full bore. I mean, we're seeing what's going to happen. Whether it's going to work or not, we're going to know because we're going to see it. Um, w- because of the amount of money the general government is now spending, and they don't have the tax revenue to pay for it. I mean, when Biden says we've got to raise taxes, well, I mean, of course. This is where people get upset about these things. If you're going to spend this kind of money, you're going to have to see tax increases. It has to happen. We don't want that, though. See, the Republicans, for years, wanted to spend a lot of money on defense but not raise any taxes. In fact, cut taxes. And so, you know, you would have uh, the best of both worlds. And there's a lot of waste in defense spending. I mean, what we need is a real evaluation of all the spending in America and a look at all the things that are done that are wasteful, right? So uh, we've got uh, got tremendous amounts of, of spending, and it's all done under the banner of helping people out. Well, this is where Grover Cleveland would say this is foolhardy. You don't do that. There's no powers given, granted to the general government to do this. Now, of course, they all sell it under the general welfare clause. But if you go back and look at what the founding generation said about the general welfare clause and what that actually meant, it didn't mean anything that we do now. That had nothing to do with $1.9 trillion of $2 trillion, $5 trillion, whatever we're going to spend on different forms of handouts, whether it's to the defense industry, whether it's to the corporate world, whether it's to individuals, whether it's to foreign governments. I mean, this is astro- it's, a, it's an astronomical amount of money. And it's dangerous because of what creates a financial instability. We, we are sitting at, there was, there was always the threat, right? And this is what people talked about. When servicing the debt became more than actual revenue, and we've gotten to that point practically now where it's going to take almost the entire federal budget at one point to just service our debt. Well, what do you do then? Well, you got to print your way out of it. When you print your way out of it, then you create massive inflation, and that, of course, is going to hurt everybody. So how do you, well, not the people at the top, but everyone down at the bottom is going to get hammered by this. So what do we do? Well, you got you got to come up with some way to start chipping away at this. Again, if there's anything you can say about the Clinton years, the 1990s, there was a point when the United States government was paying down the debt. Was paying down the debt. Now, a lot of this had to do with the work that the Clinton administration did with the Republican-controlled Congress. Gingrich and Clinton actually worked pretty well together. Clinton was a political genius in this way, that he was able to make all these things Republicans were pushing in that contract with America in 1994 his agenda. This is my agenda. This is my agenda. I'm going to go out, we're going to go out, we're going to, we're going to reform welfare and we're going to make sure all these things happen. We're going to make sure all this stuff works. Clinton was a political genius. Now, his wife not so much, but Bill Clinton was very good at triangulation. This is Carville. I mean, this is what they all worked on. If you're not if you weren't alive in the 90s or you weren't really cognizant of what was going on in the 90s or you just didn't care about the 90s, uh, that was happening. And of course, the Republicans went mad over this because they ca- they couldn't get the information out that, hey, we're actually doing this, not Clinton. And, and it's because of the bias in the media. The media was making it, this is all Clinton. Everything Clinton is doing, if you want to draw a parallel to that, it's Joe Biden and the vaccine rollout. That was all Trump's program. Everything that Biden was saying that he's going to do when he gets into office is exactly what Trump was doing when he was already in office. But, of course, the media, this is all new. Joe Biden, the first 100 days, he's going to get 100 million doses. Trump had all of this in the works already. But Biden now gets to take credit for it. But, and of course, you've got the surge at the border, the migrant surge, all these things. These are things Trump warned about. But I digress. Let's talk about Grover Cleveland, because this particular bill or this particular veto, I should say, veto message. It's February 16th, 1887, so a little over, what, about 140 years ago almost. Uh, he vetoes a congressional bill that would have provided for drop-stricken counties in Texas to get seed from the general government. So the federal government would have paid for these farmers to have seeds brought to Texas. So the taxpayer would have bailed out Texas in other words. And Grover Cleveland vetoed the bill. Now, that's I mean, first of all, this is Democrat controlled Texas. Cleveland is a Democrat. He's vetoing a bill that would help his constituents. Right? And there are some people that think because of things like this is one of the reasons why Cleveland Lost in 1888, but more likely it was voter fraud. The Republicans uh, were engaging in a massive voter fraud scheme in 1888 to get Benjamin Harrison into office. But Cleveland vetoes this bill against his constituents. I mean, look, uh, Calvin Coolidge did almost the exact same thing in the 1920s when you had a massive flood of the Mississippi River. And he didn't want to spend any federal dollars in the area. And he was persuaded to do so by Herbert Hoover, who said, look, these are all Republicans down there. At that time in the 1920s, you had large African-American communities in that Mississippi River area that were being uh, you know, harmed by this flood. And they were mostly Republican. And so Hoover said, look, if you don't help these people, you're not helping your constituents. And so Coolidge buckled and gave in to federal funds down there. But the fact is, he wasn't going to do it either. So this is something that's interesting politically, but it's also an interesting statement about how we've changed as a people in America and what we think the general government should do. Now, clearly the Congress thought that this was somehow a constitutional power of the general government. It was something they should be doing and spending money on buying seed for some farmers in Texas. They thought it was legal. They thought it was constitutional. Cleveland didn't. So I want to read this. And, of course, again, I cover Grover Cleveland in my American President's class. I cover Grover Cleveland in the U.S. History Survey courses. Uh, Cleveland is an important guy when it comes to American politics. We just don't realize it most of the time. But he said this. He said, quote, It is represented that a long-continued and extensive drought has existed in certain portions of the state of Texas, resulting in a failure of crops and consequent distress and destitution. There is, though there has been some difference in statements concerning the extent of the people's needs and the localities thus affected, there seems to be no doubt there has existed a condition calling for relief. And I am willing to believe that, notwithstanding the aid already furnished a donation of seed grain to the farmers located in this region to enable them to put in new crops would serve to avert a continuance or return to, of an unfortunate blight. So he's saying, look, I, I think this, they need help. They need help. And he says, and yet I feel obliged to withhold my approval of the plan as proposed by this bill to indulge a benevolent and charitable sentiment through the appropriation of public funds for that purpose. You're saying that because, but I, I can't do this. I can't sign this bill. Even though I see that this could be a problem, I can't sign the bill. Why? He tells you. I can find no warrant for such an appropriation of the Constitution. And I do not believe that the power and duty of the general government ought to be extended to the relief of individual suffering, which is in no manner properly related to the public service or benefit. There's no power on the Constitution to do it, and the general government has no authority to alleviate the individual suffering. Now, politically, Cleveland was taking a great gamble here, and it I mean, think about the Great Depression. Think about the New Deal, the Great Society, the New Frontier, Compassionate Conservatives, the Fair Deal, the Square Deal, all the things that we've had since 1887, the progressives have pushed, and they've changed the entire narrative on what the government should and should not do. Not The Constitution hasn't changed. Grover Cleveland was rock solid when he said, I can find no warrant for such an appropriation of the Constitution. He's exactly right. That Constitution hasn't changed. The power has not been created by anything but congressional fiat. The thing that's changed is where Cleveland said I do not believe that the power and duty of the general government ought to be extended to the relief of individual suffering. What has changed with that is now you're told that, well, stimulus money, uh, unemployment money, or whatever you want to say, is an economic benefit to the United States. Think about how these things are sold now. It's an economic benefit. If we spend money that we don't have or tax to get, that's an economic benefit to the United States. And so here we've had a change in perspective, driven primarily by Franklin Roosevelt and his second Bill of Rights. Those became the talking points for the modern Democrat Party. It didn't mean they didn't say these things beforehand, because when you look at the progressives leading up to that point, of course they did. The Marxists said this stuff for years. But... Franklin Roosevelt's second Bill of Rights is an essential turning point in American political history because now the Democrats use the same talking points they've been using since 1945. They are the real conservatives in America in many ways because they are the ones who are trying to conserve the New Deal. The COVID relief plan is a conservation of the New Deal. It's an extension of the New Deal and the Great Society, which was an extension of the New Deal, or the Fair Deal, which was an extension of the New Deal. All those things are an extension of progressive politics of the mid-20th century. And a lot of the progressives will say it. Now, of course, they leave off all the stuff about Roosevelt they don't like. But they will certainly, if they're honest, will admit that basically what we're doing is we're building on the New Deal still. Which, of course, the New Deal was created by Herbert Hoover during the Hoover administration. Now, this is the the, the line where Uh, Cleveland is often just ripped apart for. He says, a prevalent tendency to disregard the limited mission of the power, of this power and duty should, I think, be steadfastly resisted. To the end, that the lesson should be constantly enforced that though the people support the government, the government should not support the people. So the people have to support the government, but the government shouldn't support the people. Now he gives you a reason why he thinks so, and he says, the friendliness and charity of our countrymen can always be relied upon to relieve their fellow citizens of misfortune. This has been repeatedly and quite lately demonstrated. Federal aid in such such cases encourages the expectation of paternal care on the part of the government and weakens the sturdiness of our national character. While it prevents the indulgence among our people of that kindly sentiment and conduct which strengthens the bonds of a common brotherhood. So He's saying, you know, if we give in here, if we send all this money, we're going to lose the camaraderie of Americans, and we're going we're gonna to choke out private aid. I, I think back to when we had this terrible uh, winter storm in Texas. Again, I mean, think about Texas. We just had something in Texas over the winter. Terrible winter storm in Texas. I'll never forget people reading upset that the government— wasn't providing them firewood or other things they needed. I mean, this is your job to do. You got to provide for yourself. You got to make sure you are prepared. What this does is take away individual responsibility. In some I mean, look, the government loves it because you get people that are dependent. This is what they always want. But of course, you create a bunch of imbeciles, people that can't help themselves. It's 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 part of the problem of Massive government aid, whether at any level, local, state, or federal. But in this particular case, we're talking about the federal government, and Cleveland is saying this is going to be disastrous if we do these things. He says, It is within my personal knowledge that individual aid has, to some extent, already been extended to the sufferers mentioned in this bill. We've already had private individuals going out and helping people. Why do we need to spend federal money? That's going to be a waste. The failure of the proposed appropriation of $10,000 additional to meet their remaining wants will not necessarily result in continued distress if the emergency is fully made known to the people of the country. It is here suggested that the Commission of Agriculture is annually directed to expend a large sum of money for the purchase, propagation, and distribution of seeds and other things of this description, two-thirds of which are, upon the request of senators, representatives, and delegates in Congress, supplied to them for distribution among their constituents." The appropriation of the current year for this purpose is $100,000 and will probably be no less in the appropriation for the ensuing year. I understand the large quantity of grain is furnished for such distribution and it's supposed that the free apportionment among their neighbors is a privilege which may be waived by our senators and representatives. It's sufficient of them. Should request the Commission of Agriculture to send their shares of the grain thus allowed to their suffering farmers of Texas, they might be enabled to sow their crops. The constituents for whom, in theory, this grain is intended could well bear the temporary deprivation and the doors. Donors, I'm sorry, would experience the satisfaction attending deeds of charity. So he's saying, hey, look, we've already got $100,000 set aside for grain. Why don't you say, hey, you know what? We can send some of that money to Texas and help those people out. We've already got enough right now. They weren't willing to do that. This had to be an additional amount of money. And he's saying there's no end to it. You spend 10000 now, why not 10000 the next year? 20000 the next year, 30000 And this is exactly what we've seen. Grover Cleveland was trying to put the brakes on excessive and unconstitutional federal spending in 1887. His reasoning, of course, is seen as cold-hearted and nasty that people shouldn't get support from the government. We should support the government. They don't support us. His reasoning is viewed as problematic by the modern left. But you miss the part of the Constitution, and you miss what he's actually, he's he's jabbing it back to Congress here. Hey, look, we've already got $100,000 set aside for this. Why don't you send some of that grain down to Texas? No, you're not going to do that, are you? Because you don't want to give up. Those spoils, you just want to add. Well, I mean, if this is the case, why don't we have, you know, all these things we look at this stuff, Cleveland's saying you just can't do this. Why, why don't we shift stuff around now and say we got to put these resources here? No, no, we're just going to add to the budget. We're just going to add to the budget. And we've created an environment in the United States today in terms of government spending and government employees and all the things. I mean, we've got people that are working for the government now make more on average than private sector employees. We've got the federal government choking out private sec- the private sector in so many ways. And we do this all through welfare. And look, the Bernie Sanders people are right about corporate welfare. They are. It's just that they get it wrong on what to do about it. The right is correct about individual welfare. The left is correct about welfare to... to uh, giant defense industry contractors, they're right about that, we spend a lot of wasteful money in America. This is the real issue and something that people don't really think about. They they like their pet projects and they want those things to go through, but the other guy's thing, well, we got to get rid of that. This is always the issue of America, and it's something that Calhoun pointed out, bringing it back to Calhoun on the 18th, something Calhoun pointed out, in his disquisition on government. He said, look, this is always going to happen. When the side out of power is not in power, they're going to use the Constitution, their advantage, they're going to complain about what the one side does, they're going to complain about everything that happens there, and the side in power is going to say, everything we're doing is constitutional, everything we're doing is just, everything we're doing is great. Once they get out of power, they're going to do the exact same thing, because we don't really have real checks and balances in government anymore. The states are supposed to do it, at least that was the way the Constitution was sold. There was also some talk about judicial review. But people were supposed to talk about the constitutionality of, of legislation. Now, uh, I'll say this. Uh, the uh, the H.R. 1, they did bring up the Constitution. They didn't bring up... They brought up different ways that the Supreme Court has said this is constitutional, but they didn't bring up the original debates on the Constitution. So that's that's a major problem. But regardless... This bill, this veto of this bill is great. It's fantastic because it develops a constitutional argument for vetoing unconstitutional legislation and spending legislation, even if, if this was something that would have been popular. And I think that's really where we get into issues of government now. We just think about popular and we don't really worry about the, the aftermath of these bills and what they actually do. So I want to bring up Grover Cleveland again. He's in my American President's class. I talk a lot about him. Uh, really, uh, I mean, amazing uh, example of executive power and how it should be used and how it was constitutionally used. I mean, Cleveland did have some problems um, in his presidency. Some, some things that he did that, uh, a little dubious constitutionally, but certainly uh, in this way he was looking at the Constitution and saying, even this is going to help my constituents, I think this is wrong Uh, legally. And we already have money set aside, so use that. But of course, that wasn't going to happen. All right. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time in the next one. See you then.